Welcome, listeners and viewers of our program, Lazarus Come Out. We are joined by beloved Father, Father Christian, parish priest at Holy Trinity Greek Orthodox Cathedral in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, but more aptly known in the social media space by the handle Noetic Springs and YouTube channel The Hidden Lives Podcast. By the way, I really love that, that title, The Hidden Lives <laughs> Uh, very Thank intriguing, you. especially the, the people that you interviewed as well. I really loved mm. each and every single one of them. Um, and also coming soon with a new podcast on the inter- interpretation of scriptures from the context it was written. Very excited for that one too. Um, glad to have you, Father. Thank God. Thank you for having me. I look forward to uh, discussing what what you have planned for today. Yeah, very much so. Um, a disclaimer, yeah, before we begin for listeners, um, um, as we are entering uh, within the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, a new era of service in English, uh, we may not be aware that uh, being Ethiopian Orthodox, we're part of a larger circle of churches that are Oriental Orthodox, which sadly have been uh, in schism and have separated from the Eastern Orthodox Church, which is uh, the part of the church that our beloved father is from. Though we are not in communion with the Greek Orthodox Church, Lord knows we are much closer and well-acquainted cousins than the other churches that have sprouted in the last millennia. Mm. So I believe we have much to learn and gain from Father Christian. So we'll move on into our program. So I kind of want to start off like in an icebreaker uh, type of way. So how about you tell us, Father, what was your vocation before the priesthood? Vocation before, like what I wanted to do before, before becoming a priest? Uh, more and more, what 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 uh, avenue, like occupation wise, like were you always like just as soon as you graduated from college, just became a priest, or just was it was there like an intermediary? Yeah, um, no, no real intermediary. I mean, I graduated high school at eighteen, went to mm-hmm. uh, I did my bachelor's uh, from eighteen till about twenty two, and then I graduated with my master's at twenty five. After I graduated at twenty five, I was a youth director out in California. That's where I met my wife. And then from there we moved, after we got married, we moved in 2017 to Montana. We were in Montana for about a year and then we got oh, called wow. okay. to the diaconate in Chicago. You know how there's a joke, there's a joke about how you know no one from Montana, like it's just one of the remote <laughs> places. I guess now I know someone from Montana. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, there's more, there's a, I think there's about a million people in the entire state and the, and the state's pretty big, but, uh, there's more cows. There are more cows than people in Montana. So, yeah, <laughs> the city that I was at was very small. It was about 100,000. And I grew up in New York City, which has about eight or nine million people. So it, the, the contrast is yeah is, is jarring. Um, and then we went to uh, Chicago. That's where I was ordained a deacon. And I served mm-hmm. uh, as a deacon in Chicago for about a year. And then before we moved to Charlotte um, for where I've been a priest since 2019, I think, 2019, 2018. Yeah, I think 2019. Um, yeah, but so I didn't. I didn't really do. I, I've always served in the church. There wasn't any real job or anything along those lines. What I did want to do was uh, there's two avenues I wanted to pursue before the priesthood, which was like doing something with business or doing something with film. I've always loved uh, cinematography, um, directing. I took a class in high school, which was just it opened my eyes to the to to movies in general. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Are you yeah. doing anything? I mean, obviously, like the the reels, they're really sure. <laughs> perfectly edited. Um, yeah. but are you thinking of anything like long form wise in the future, like besides no. YouTube? 
No, I, I just, I don't have time. Yeah, mm, maybe yes. one day. <laughs> Very much so, you're right. Um, so I, out of curiosity, so masters, what did you do for your masters? It was uh, a master's of divinity. So it's theological studies. Okay, so like um, a seminary type, okay, type of thing. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, so when you when you entered in the, into that, did you have in your mind, okay, I want to end as a, end up serving as a parish priest? Like, was that the end goal of, of entering into the? Sure. No, no, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't until I think it was my second year in seminary. So this was it was three years total for the masters, and in my second year, the second year out of, of the, out of the third, is uh, I was having confession with my spiritual father. We were talking and. I was relaying my, my sins to him and asking for some advice. And I remember him saying to me, um, one day when you're a priest, you will face similar challenges in how to respond and all these things. And you'll know how to respond because you've kind of gone through, through some of this stuff. And that's the first mm -hmm. time that that seed was ever planted or like, oh, wait, I could, I could probably do this um, for my life because, A, I love the church. And, mm -hmm. uh, um, and B, there's like, you can at least, if you're going to have a family and kids, you, you, there, there's some sort of like living to be made. You know, it's nothing crazy, but it's it's enough to be able to survive, which is very important. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So yeah. out of curiosity, and this is like very uh, foreign to us from the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, because mm -hmm. usually the way that, that um, they uh, they would um, set up priests is, okay, um, you know, like the people are very well interconnected in Ethiopia. Like the mm -hmm. modernity has, still hasn't struck in Ethiopia as much. Mm -hmm. So... Um, if, if you grew up in the church, you would, you learn, you know, the, the scriptures and everything, and you know, the uh, hymnody, like uh, on how to chant the liturgy, then automatically you'd be ordained as a priest. And then like, you kind of learn it on the job. And, mm -hmm. um, so but I, I just, it makes, it makes me uh, wonder, cause I noticed in the Coptic church, for example, they would have like a, uh, they would, the parish as a whole would choose the priest. Like they would present a candidate and then like the bishop would kind of, uh, you know, grill him, I guess you could say in a way. And, okay, and then after, like, a certain period of time, and then they would uh, go, either go to seminary, or they would be ordained, and then they would do 40 days at a monastery. And then after that, they would uh, move on into, you know, serving the... So what was what was your experience? Like, was it, like, in Charlotte? Like, how did you end up from Chicago, I believe you said, right, when, mm -hmm. when you were serving as a deacon? How yeah. did you end up from Chicago to in Charlotte, like, as a, as a parish priest? Yeah, I guess to to address the the first part of what you mentioned, it's like the, that um, we have a more, I would say, a more systematized process. It's not as maybe grassroots. Maybe there is some grassroots that that is involved in the sense of like if there's a parish priest that sees a particular young man that has an interest or affinity towards the priesthood, or an older man that has an affinity towards the priesthood, then he might connect them with the bishop, and then the bishop might have a conversation with him, and they might dis uh, discuss like. Uh, let's say they're an older man and they've been working in some sort of, you know, um, secular job for, for years. They can either look at uh, the permanent diaconate, which means they just serve it. They continue their regular job, but then they serve as a deacon to the local parish. And that's that's it. Or they look at more of more of an ordained, uh, uh, full, more fuller ordained ministry as a full time priest. And then they'll get assigned to the parish, you know, and, and, and all of those things. But if it's a younger man, um, even if they have an affinity to the to the church and they know how to chant and they're reading the scriptures, they still go to the bishop. The bishop needs to give the blessing before they can go to seminary. And then once they mm -hmm. go to the seminary, then it's a matter of being connected to the bishop because the bishop, after all, is the one that signs off 
and approves your ordination. Um, mm -hmm. So you need to have a close relationship with your bishop. First of all, because he's your father. Second, because he's uh, he's representative of Christ, but also because you're going to be serving under what we use the term we use under his homophorion, so under his. Uh, so homophorion, homo means like the same. Homo, and then homophorion. Like, homophorion. What does that mean? That's a good question. I was actually trying to think of like what what would be a good translation. Uh, I'm I'm not entirely sure what the English translation equivalent to that is. Okay. Okay. All right. So just but just under the bishop though, like just yeah. that, that's a general idea. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So I think th this is a, a really nice segue into um, your um, some of the reels that you, you've produced. Uh, one, one of which I really love. Like it, it, there's been a, like a, a trend that I've noticed with the with the ones about orthodoxy. Um, so I, it, it prompts the question, why orthodoxy, which is, you know, a, a podcast episode in and of itself, but, um, the, the one quote that really jumped at me, and I just had a question about this actually the other day, um, St. Maximus, the confessor from the Eastern church, oh, what, and his quote, you made a real of it. And this is how it goes. Let me just read it out. Do not say that faith in Christ alone can save you. For this is not possible if you do not attain love for him, which is demonstrated by deeds. As for mere faith, the demons also believe and tremble. And so, like in, in that aspect, so the other other uh, forms of expressing the Christian uh, reality aren't aren't the fullness. I guess to use the the term of the Eastern Church, aren't the fullness, right? Like the, we we can't just pick and choose, as Saint Augustine says, because if we pick and choose what we believe from the scriptures or from the writing of the fathers, then really we're believing ourselves rather than you know the reality. So, in 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 light of that, why why do you think there's uh, a need for people to look for orthodoxy, or why should they pursue orthodoxy? Why should people pursue the Orthodox Church? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, everything that I'll answer is biased because I'm an Orthodox priest. And uh, I mean, anyone listening to it might, of course, deduce that. But what what I would say is that the Orthodox Church, people make, um, people say this all the time, is the one true church, the church founded by Christ, uh, dates back to the apostles and the disciples. And I would I would say, yes, like that, this, this is very true. And from a logical perspective, like this is a, a route you can take. But when I was in seminary, I had the same question, like, why should I choose the Orthodox Church? Uh, when I was in seminary, I, I didn't enter to go into religious studies or to do any sort of theological studies. I went there for because uh, the seminary is attached to the college. And when I entered the college, it was I went there for, for a business degree. It was my first uh, my first year was a, to try to do a business degree. And I had the same question, like, why is the Orthodox Church the true church? Like, wh how, how can you reconcile other forms of Christianity or denominations? Um, and one of the things that came, I came back to over and over was the life of Christ. So the, the, the life of, of Christ is clearly lived and exemplified, I believe, only in, within the confines of the Orthodox Church. Not only do I believe, because that, that actually that doesn't really mean much, but history will dictate that, that belief. History will reveal that belief, that only, the life of Christ is only revealed more fully in its complete context in the Orthodox Church, because it is the body of Christ. And therefore, since it is the body of Christ, it reveals the head who is Christ more, more fully. 
through the theology, through the ascetical practices um, that includes fasting, individual prayer, and all you know, all, all these aspects that we don't just take on during Great Lent, but throughout the year, uh, through the manner in which we live. Uh, there's a great quote by Saint, I think it's Saint Gregory Palamas, who says, "Every theory can be contradicted by another theory, but who can contradict the life?" And this is uh, this speaks very clearly to our day in life, where uh, our day and age, where we have so many theories today. You know, we have critical race theory, we have gender theory, we have I don't know, the, the, the theories of, of school and mathematics or studies and all these things. It's like the theories ultimately don't matter because they're, they're being propagated by one generation to the next and, and they're, they're, they, they alter and change. But the life of Christ never changes. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if Christ is the same, then we can, we can go back to, let's say, the book of Acts and look at how those Christian live, Christians lived and then point to churches today and see how they live. And if there's churches that live similar to that, if there are churches that continue to use the same letters, the same words, the same scripture, the same message, then you know that there is the life of Christ. And if you see the life of Christ manifested, then there you know that is the true church. Exactly. So this is what I would say, like, if you want Christ, go to orthodoxy. Exactly. And, and it, it's interesting because, like, even the term orthodoxy came about to distinguish the early church from, like, other churches. It wasn't to say that, okay, we're starting a new denomination. That's usually what I hear from, um, like, certain inquirers or some, certain people that are skeptical. Uh, they'd say, oh, orthodox, the orthodox church. Oh, you're just adding, like, the little acronym, like, the, the term before it. So that means it's a denomination of sorts. But really, it was just used to, to, to uh, distinguish the true church from the other churches. So really the, the, the Orthodox church is the church period. That's it. Um, and so, and also reminds me of, um, the, I was reading uh, the Orthodox way by, um, Bishop Kalisos Warrior. And I, I, f I found that earlier on, like before this whole, the controversy started and the term even Orthodox was, was being used. The, the term that was used to signify the Christian life was the way the way and so which is interesting because when you look at the term orthodoxy what it means is a straight like like a, a proper uh doxa like glorification a proper glorification or like a straight really to think about like a straight like or orthopedics like straight mm -hmm. um and so to, it, it kind of goes back into the idea of the way like it's just one way that's it like it's really not uh we're starting a new church we're starting just oh we're trying to go back no it's just we're just kind of continuing, continuing what, what has always been um, following the way. And so, yeah, very beautifully answered. Um, so in, in light of that, I noticed that you were working on um, a catechetical, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it that right. That, that word is such a tongue twister. Yeah, catechetical, yeah. Yeah, so a, a class for, um, and for our, our listeners and viewers who aren't aware that the word catechetical comes from catechumens which is referring to people that are inquirers that want to be baptized into the Orthodox Church. Um, and I, I noticed that you were working on a class for, in, uh, for that and noticed some of the literature that you posted on your story. Um, I think one of them was Orthodox Psychotherapy, um, yes. the therapy of sp for spiritual illnesses, <laughs> etc. So, you know, um, definitely those books themselves re like require a podcast of their, of their own, but... Mm. Uh, just in, in light of that, that like that term, the orthodox psychotherapy and therapy for spiritual illnesses, what is your outlook on modern psychotherapy? Like just the way that, you know, it propagates itself in, especially in the Western world. Yeah. Again, my, what, everything that I'll say, you have to take with a grain of salt because I'm just a priest. Uh, I have not had any psychological 
training or degree. And uh, I think I've only done therapy once or twice, and it has not been extensive or very long. And, and most of the therapy that I have, that I have done, that I have participated in, um, I feel was not very good or helpful in, in many respects. That's not to say that people should not pursue therapists because they're not able to assist them. I, I think that they can get assisted, but I also believe that you can get uh, with that mingled with the life of the church is the life of the church is a complete path to healing. But if, if there are things that are aspects that are not helping, then there are other avenues that you can um, you can take. So again, grain of salt. I'm just a priest. You don't have to listen to me. Uh, I'm, I'm not like this expert on, on this. Uh, but I will say is that I find it interesting that um, there's a movie that I saw. Uh, which which movie was it? Um, shoot, I can't remember which movie it was. I think it was The Secret Life. No, it was The Search for Happiness, I think. I think. And this gentleman visits this one of his friends in, in, in Africa. And he's trying to like understand like what, what is happiness and how do you find it? Because he's kind of like done with, with, with the world. Um, and one of the quotes from that part of the movie says that uh, it's interesting how the more people you have like in a city, the more therapists you have, you, you, you need to have like with, within a city. And mm -hmm. I don't know if there's like truth to that quote, but it's, I, I found, I find it to be true. Like I, I grew up in New York city and New York city is, is crazy. Like it, 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 it actually is insane. And this, the, there's a spirit that is generated within, within the city, just like, um, just like ancient cities used to have like particular gods or, uh, demonic influence that you, that you ascribe to, to a particular city, like. Athena was, you know, was for Athens. I don't know who, who was for other cities in, in Greece or other areas or the Egyptians who have their particular gods. Like mm. the cities that I've attended have particular, um, there's a particular influence that you feel. And New York City is very this like, the city that like never sleeps, right? Or um, anyway, all, all these things. When you, when you understand like you have 9 million people living in a very small congregated area and you under and you and you begin to understand spiritually that my disposition affects the person next to me so when i get when i go into a train and my disposition whether i don't whether i say anything or not just my glance the way i look at somebody the way i i hold the door open for someone or i don't hold the door open for someone all of these things play a role and so my passions even though they're mine begin to subtly influence other people's passions uh, mystically, subtly, without, without imperceptibly, without really even knowing, you know, um, it could be the manner in the way, the way I, I look someone just because I'm angry, upset that day. And then they perceive it as anger or, you know, they, they take on my passion, um, or receive it. And that excites their own passion. Therefore it, it propagates this, this thing. So when you have large amounts of people congregated together, it's like, <laughs> It's a, I don't know, it's like a, a, a recipe for, for disaster. Um, one, because we, we are around so many people and we don't know anyone. So it creates, it even creates a sense of more isolation or loneliness. All of this is to say that, because you were talking about like therapy, like in smaller cities, like I, I experienced in, when I lived in Montana, people knew each other. There's a sense of community. Um, you didn't need... I felt like you're able to connect with people and therefore the therapy that one
can receive from a person that just listens to you, you receive from your neighbor who is like excited to see you and happy to, 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 to listen to your burdens. You mm -hmm. bore each other's burdens or, or rather in small communities, it seems like you can bear each other's burdens more, more easily. When in large cities or communities, it's like you just become another number rather than like uh, you, you begin to, in small communities, you see yourself as part of the whole rather than like in these big cities, you just, you don't see yourself as anything. Nobody would even care if something happened to you is the feeling that, that, that you could have. Like the apartments in New York City or any, any city is a, it's a perfect example of that. I myself have lived in many apartments and I really don't never knew the person right next to me. You know, wow. so it's a, uh, you can live in these huge Is it buildings. that you never saw them like just walking by or is it just that you just never interacted with them? No, it, I, I've interacted with them and I may have known their name, but that's it. There is no, there was never an invitation to my home or vice versa. Mm -hmm. You know, there was never, you know, what are they struggling with? If they left the next day and somebody else replaced them, I would have never known because there was not this communion. We might be in the same building, the same space, but I would have, there's no community between. And therefore this isolation creates more uh, mental pressures on the people, I believe, at least it, it was the case for me, it creates more mental pressures on a person. And over time, if they don't have a proper outlet, uh, uh, through a church, through friends, through family. Most people have horrible relationships with family. Um, some people don't have really good friends that they trust and can reveal the, the deepest things within them. And they don't have confession and they don't have a priest that they turn to that they can just, you know, let their heart out. So they have to turn to therapy, to, to people that can, are, are you, you pay someone to listen to you, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's where it's like, it, it's, it's crazy. And then now, the, the need, it seems like, has gotten so great that you have even people um, online doing, I think there's a thing, uh, I keep seeing these like advertisements. Better, for better help, help. Yeah, like yeah better, better help. help. Yeah, so now you're disconnecting one of the life-giving relationships of a, of a therapist, which is in person, you know, you perceive, like you're a human being, you're not even this, like we're, we're connecting to some extent, but exactly. it's still difficult, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and now you're, you're, it's just, I don't know. It seems like it's not, it's not very good. And that's why the life of the church, again, going back to the life of Christ, Christ, who is the proper and the true physician of our souls and bodies, only he can give us complete healing. Therefore we run to the church um, so that we can find healing, so that we can find community, so that we can confess our sins, so that we don't, we don't have to subscribe to other aspects um, uh, even if we don't find the healing with, let's say, within the apartment building or the city, we can find the healing within the context of the community of the church. Something that ground, uh, grounds you mm -hmm. in the rhythm of your week. Beautiful. So, yeah, and yeah. I think from, from what you said, Father, um, there's a, just the, the title of one of the books, um, I think, was... Um, I don't. I, I'm not. I'm gonna butcher his name, so I'm just gonna uh, stay away from it. But Orthodox psychotherapy. The under the subtitle was the science of the fathers, yeah. um, and that's that. That stands out to me because you know we refer to science as like this all-encompassing thing, but we forget that re much of science is dealing with the physical, and kind of points to the fact that our society has grown more uh, materialistic than uh realizing our 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 needs that are inanimate like oh wait what you said a community that's not necessarily it's not just a bunch of people cluttered together there's like a there's a an, an inanimate thing going on that binds these people together and you may call it love i mean you may call it 
a spirit of filotimo, uh, like just like a, an honor, you know what I mean? Like a, a desire to, to come together. But then that, that desire in and of itself, the love, whatever you may call it, isn't animate. You can't touch it. So like even like the even though that uh, as you said nine nine million people in one place New York should be like you know the best place to live in the world because you you have people right but then you're not that that aspect of connection is inanimate and that could only be prop like propagated or properly uh, enacted if there are these uh, understand under the understanding that science mostly deals with the physical aspect and there's like a higher level that we aren't being aware of and that we aren't uh, tending towards which affects our daily dealings and affects our just our, our, our perception of reality altogether. And um, I think I actually think this is the issue with psychology because so therapists like psych psychologists or psychotherapists, whatever, all, all these things, even the even the term psychology is the study of the soul. Like if you go back to the to the original Greek or, or, or whatever. But what is that? What is it that they're like looking at? When, when somebody is doing therapy, like as a psych, let's say a person psychologist and somebody comes to the psychologist and what, what is it that the psychologist is trying to do? They're listening, they're reflecting, they're, they're trying to maybe get to the root of it. But if the root is a passion and they know nothing about passions of the soul, how can they diagnose a passion that they have never themselves understood? So in other words, they're trying to cure something that through the body that is actually, uh, originates in the soul and if they don't have a concept or an idea of the soul then it's it's bad so therefore they tackle everything to like the brain so mm -hmm. the, the brain is the problem you have like mental issues right like mental health and all these things which that's not to say that there aren't uh mental things but if you think of like the soul right as the animating like this is the soul and the body and the soul is the thing that like animates the body and the soul like pierce through the body to utilize its members like so this, therefore the soul the, and all these things can utilize the brain the soul mm -hmm. can utilize the hands it's there's a desiring aspect of the soul that utilizes this body and animates it and it's not this it, don't understand the body and soul as separate but I, i'm just sharing with you this analogy so you can understand yeah no 100 like, uh, like for example like how i understand what you said uh, father is uh, when people say dopamine hit like I, I, I usually like I notice how people just kind of se separate like the, their their soul from their body and assume okay a dopamine is just oh that that's just the explanation of me feeling good but really the dopamine quote unquote is really a physical manifestation of the state of my soul like how my soul physically manifests if if that makes sense but I, yeah I get what you were trying to say I, yeah I, I guess the the way I would describe that is like you you have the soul that utilizes the brain. So let's, let's put it in that respect. So the, the soul is utilizing the brain. And when you're scrolling, and people get like this dopamine hit when they're like using social media and all these things, the dopamine hit is something that like you receive the, the actual body has um, their actual things that are happening physically within the body. Mm -hmm. But the soul also receives that impression of the dopamine hit. And therefore, it excites a certain passion, or you can use the modern term addiction to 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 continue to manifest that. So it's not just a matter of like the brain becomes addicted, or it's not just a matter of like the brain becomes subjected to something. And therefore, if you heal the brain, you heal everything. Well, you can heal the brain, but the, the desire um, is still innate in in the soul. And if you don't cure the soul, then the desire will go somewhere else. You know, it will turn from 
uh, for, for example, I, I mean, I've heard this from a friend. I don't know this from personal experience, but he used to be somebody that attended Alcoholics Anonymous. And everybody would go to this Alcoholics Anonymous and they would say, I'm an alcoholic, I'm an alcoholic. And at the very end of the meeting, all these people would go and smoke. So the desire for alcohol has only just been transferred to something else. And or it could be transferred to something worse or something better. But the, the, if you don't understand the soul and understand the desire and capacity of the soul, you think that if you just cure the physical aspect of it, then you're going to cure everything. But really, it's about the transformation of, of the interior person, the soul, the aspect of the soul that desires and rerouting that desire not to uh, alcohol, not to, you know, smoking or whatever, not even to like a good life, you know, or whatever it is, because you can always become more obsessed with some, something else, but rerouting that back to Christ. When you have Christ as the proper rotation, then everything else flows from there. So, and I think that's what, like Christ, Christ is the thing that's missing from, from psychology, uh, from, from, uh, from therapy, the proper form of healing. That's why it's the science of the fathers. Beautiful. And, and I think um, just from what you said, Father, um, just you mentioned the, the word passion. And a, a lot of times, like the, the listeners of this podcast are probably not aware, especially the ones from the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, are, we haven't uh, propagated the conversation of the passions. And usually on like, if you said passion, they're probably thinking of a passion project. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the, the term in which you're using it is referring to what, what, what is commonly known now as the seven deadly sins, but what was earlier by the early church fathers uh, labeled as the eight passions. Right? And we're not going to spend too much time talking about it right now, but if, if anyone is interested, just to look into that, uh, the eight passions. Uh, to understand like the the perspective that we are uh, approaching this from, and so it from from what you said so far, it's I want to throw something at you just for a moment just from what you said sure. so far. Is it a fair assessment to presume that much, if not all, our illnesses, our imbalances are from our own doing? I, I would say uh, there's two two answers. Mm -hmm. The first is the answer, um, the general answer that I that I would give, like pastorally. It's like no, not everything comes from you. You have inherited sins and traumas from your parents and your grandparents that have been passed down, uh, not just genetically, genetically, but also spiritually to to you who you are as a person. You are a product of your particular time and society and the people that have influenced you. So it's, and all these things can create impressions on the soul that are either positive or negative or more, maybe let's put it more properly, either heading you, making you go towards Christ or away from Christ. And, or as the fathers would say, either enlighten you or darken your, your mind, your soul. Mm. Um, these illnesses, like as the fathers of the church would say, like manifest themselves, not just um, spiritually, but they can manifest themselves physically. So on in one aspect, everything uh, uh, that you have, all the illnesses, whatever, are, are yours, but they're not yours because you've inherited them as well. But now that you're a grown man or a grown woman, you have autonomy, you have a will to be to be able to to exercise these things and to fight against the things that other people may have given you unfairly you know or unjustly so now that comes to the other aspect of the answer it's like yes these things are yours and the quicker you can take ownership 
uh, about that and say, this is my fault, even if it was given to you by your parents, even if your parents were, um, how would I describe it? Even e even if your parents were um, uh, abusive or what, whatever it may be, uh, you may have received this trauma, or this, but the, the, to, to the extent that you continue to say it's somebody else's fault and just say, I take this on from, from this point forward, whatever it may be, like from this moment forward, whatever happened, I forgive my parents and I'm going to move on and I'm going to do the best that I can with what I've got. So then, then, then it becomes like, okay, you take ownership and then you just work on, on, on those things rather than continuing to like blame somebody else. So for pastorally, I'll say, it's not your fault, my child. You know, just you, you still have a couple of things uh, to work on. Look at everything that you've inherited. And it makes sense why you're in the pit, let's say, that you are. And then from the other perspective, it's like, okay, now take ownership of, of the, the, the stuff that has happened to you. And let's move forward to see what we can do. Does that make sense? I don't, I don't know if that's Yeah, that, that definitely clear. makes sense. And, and um, from, from the perspective that you just mentioned it, I was listening to, um, and you explained it perfectly there. I was listening to a, a talk by Father Thomas Hopko of Blessed Memory on the topic of sin. And it was, you know, it was pretty lengthy, actually. It was like two hours. And he pretty much, you know, everything you said, he said it in two hours. And um, oh, nice. yeah, it was very uh, well um, um, explained. And so, but then the one thing that he did drive drive home was that aspect of, okay, there there is a, a component of whatever it is, the card that you're dealt, that you have to take ownership for, and you have to, you know, continue uh, to work out your, like how St. Paul says, to work out your salvation with uh, uh, fear and trembling, mm -hmm. um, understanding that uh, it's your cooperation with God. Like God, even though you, the card you're, you're dealt is bad, God will save you, God will heal you, but you still have to put in your will, you have to give up your will to him so that he can save you, in simple terms. Mm -hmm. um, and so, as it is very, very, very well uh, explained, Father. This br brings me to you know, like, with the card, the aspect of being dealt a certain card, or like a certain, um, you know, uh, man, like I, I can't even begin to explain, because, you know, a lot of horrible things are happening, and I'm very grateful from my position, um, I'm sure you are as well, Father, I, um, that we aren't dealing with uh, the temptations and uh, tribulations that much of the world, you know, that's not, you know, uh, in our fortunate position is dealing with. And so... I'm reminded of what St. Anthony, um, one of the earliest monks, said to expect to be tempted to the last breath, you know, which is honestly very uh, kind of depressing, very uh, kind of depressing. And so in, in that mindset, I find myself and I've talked to people that, that felt that way, where it's it's kind of a battle to... Uh, it, should I full on go in, into uh, like invest in God or just this is just too much sometimes I, I, I don't know if I, if I could if I could keep going and if I could just you know and um, I, I think about what you said um, and, and you put me back onto this uh, of what Christ said in the Gospel of St. Luke about he that puts his hand to the plow one of your reels about commitment oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, he that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom and I think, like, okay, with the with the amount of uh, tribulations that we're experiencing, a lot of people are, are, are always having this double-mindedness. Like, uh, um, and how can people, um, or just, you know, us in general of, of the faith that are pursuing this, um, the ortho orthodox life, how can they 
double down on their commitment? How can they just, you know, uh, root away these thoughts and uh, commit to Christ, even though it's, it's, it, it's a very difficult world we're living in, time we're living in? Yeah, I think, uh, again, what I'm going to say is, is I'm, I'm speaking first and foremost to myself. And I, I hope if, if uh, there are people that listen to it, that they find fruit from it, may be blessed. And if they don't, you know, you don't have to listen to them. I'm just, I'm just another person. Uh, but what, what I would say is this, is that um, sometimes we overcomplicate. Uh, we, we, overcomplicate um, we overcomplicate spirituality. And it, it becomes like all this, like, I, I mean, I don't know how to, I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but the, it, like <clears throat> on, on one respect, it, like in, in one sense, when Christ says, uh, come all to me who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Like he, he's not lying when he says like, if you come to me, you're going to receive rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Like go to Christ and you will experience easiness. You will experience rest. You will experience uh, fullness. Um, so spirituality, like in, in that sense, or a life in Christ or a life in, in, in the Holy Spirit can be simple. Go to church, fast, pray, um, do, do good to those who harm you. Like these are just the words of Christ. Like it's, it's, if you read the chapters of Matthew from five to like about eight, just do those things. And essentially, you'll you'll be you'll be good. Like don't don't even worry about the the rest. And I think Saint Paisios, a more modern day Orthodox saint, he says, um, if people just go to church, confess, receive communion regularly, um, and attend the feast days, and and then do the like the the uh, fasting of the church, they'll be saved. So, I, I think sometimes we like put this all this burden on ourselves. You don't have to fight anything in in the sense of like worldly. The only person you have to conquer is yourself, and that's why. Then it goes from like it leaving, living an easy life. That's why I don't worry about politics. I don't worry about like a lot of the stuff that's like happening in the world. It doesn't, it doesn't affect me. I remember when like COVID first started and I was sitting in the car with my wife and we were both worried, like trying to figure out, oh, what's going to happen? What, what, you know, what, what are we going to do? And I said, honey, it doesn't really matter. Whether we live or we die, this isn't our final destination. And this was, the, this was the cry of the first Christians. That's what I'm saying. Like a life in Christ is like so simple. Okay, we die. Big deal. Okay, we got the virus. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm dead, right? It's like, I, and I have children. And there's, like a, there's an aspect of that that's like nerve-wracking because you do want to be, um, you do want to tend to your family and you want to be responsible and, and all these things. And it's not abdicating yourself of responsibility. It's just realizing I'm going to influence and do the things that I can do and leave to God the things that I can't. And therefore, if I can fast, if I can pray, if I can attend the church, I will do those things. If I can influence my children, I will do those things. If I can influence my wife, I will do those things. Um, but the rest of the stuff, it's like, don't worry about it. God appoints these leaders, sometimes because of our sins, and sometimes be because they've appointed themselves out of their own pride and, and, and foolishness. But God has already won the war. We've already seen the end in, in the book of Revelations. It's not that, in a, in a way, it's like, it's not that complicated. Does, mm -hmm. does that make sense? Yes, 100%. I think yeah. um, with what you said, like that paradox, and we see that a lot. Even Father Thomas Hofko said it, orthodoxy is a, a lot like paradoxy in the mm -hmm. sense that you, the way that you, the faith that you're, experience, that you're explaining, saying that, okay, whatever happens, like the, we have won, you know, like whatever happens, happens, you know, but I am with Christ. That aspect is not abdicating responsibility. It's not saying, oh, I'm just going to let my kids be like, you know, whatever, and I just 
you know, uh, do nothing about it. But rather, like, those are exclusive to each other. Like, you are responsible to the present moment, but then at the same time also uh, devoting or convicting the present moment and the future towards God. And um, I, I think of uh, what, you, what you said earlier, like, no matter how, how many crazy things, St. Paisius said another, um, another quote I read uh, from him where he said, um, majority or all the things that, like, all the crazy things that happen around me would drive me insane if I didn't know that the Lord had the last say. And um, yeah. it's, it's, it's um, the, the very, very well put, uh, Father. And, and this kind of, like the whole talk about uh, psychotherapy, I think, uh, or just hardship, definitely uh, warrants a conversation about, um, or about whom we are both interested or just, you know, intrigued by, uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson. Um, mm -hmm. Any of my friends that know me, <laughs> call me a ride or die fan but um, I definitely have calmed down from those times uh, I've noticed that you, uh, you you got the chance to meet uh, Dr. Jordy Peterson and uh, yeah. and you know I, I've, I've seen one of your posts and if anyone wants to check it out go ahead uh, but the question I wanted to ask you is you, I'm sure you noticed his, his activity visiting my Athos and Orthodox churches with Jonathan Pajot. Uh, what do you make of that? Do you think that he's uh, secretly converted to Orthodoxy, or um, you know, just because um, I, I, I remember at some point he was always talking about his um, qualm with this the word belief that everyone seems to be throwing around. Like I believe this, I believe that, and um, but then now he just like he doesn't even talk about that about his belief on, on God, but rather just you know we see him always with Jonathan and then just Mount Athos and then. So what do you make of that? Yeah, uh, you know I I don't know his heart, so it's it's hard to discern. Uh, what I will say is like I trust the words of Jonathan Pajot, which I I recently just saw a podcast. He was on some like other Christians podcast, and they were talking about and one of, one of the things that they spoke about was like Jordan Peterson and Jonathan Pajot described it as like the Jordan Peterson. Uh, yeah, like the Jordan Peterson you see is it's like what you see is kind of like what you get. So like if he's like having these like conversations about God, he, it's because he's genuinely having those conversations about God. There's like nothing secretive or hidden about like Jordan Peterson. This is like Jonathan Peugeot's uh, words, which I, I really like because you don't really, from that point on, you don't really have to like discern, is he a Christian? Is he not a Christian or whatever? It's clear that Jordan Peterson is like having, um, uh, he's trying to discern for himself uh, what is the truth? And I don't, I don't know. Now, another thing that I saw recently, like somebody was like commenting on this very question that you're asking. And I think this has a lot of truth where he says, this person wonders if uh, Jordan Peterson is postponing becoming some sort of like making a decision, whether it's Orthodox or Catholic or something else. Uh, he's unwilling to make a decision because he delves too much into, into the intellectual aspects of the faith. And what happens is that he he uses his intellectual aspect as a way to procrastinate on choosing one or the other. Um, again, these are not my words. So I'm not I'm not I'm not entirely sure uh, what I would say. Like, it's been a couple of years now, you know, um, mm -hmm. if if there is truth to be had, like for Jordan Peterson, it'd be amazing if he just made a choice. Mm -hmm. And, and decide, and then very quickly you, re, you, you will realize this is the right path, this is not the right path. 
Um, and just because that's the choice that you make doesn't mean that that's the, the, that's necessarily going to, going to be the choice that you stick with. Like ma many people may make choices to enter a Protestant church or non-denominational church or, or whatever, and eventually they find themselves at the at the doors of Orthodoxy, um, or vice versa. Somebody may be born into the Orthodox faith, and I know somebody in particular that has left the faith, gone to the Protestant circles for many many years, and then having found no everlasting um, no life-giving words there they return back to their orthodox roots so for jordan peterson i think it's just a matter of like making a decision and uh he did that like book now uh wrestle with god and i think he's on tour now if, if i'm not mistaken starting this month or, or or the next um and yeah i look forward to seeing him again i think i'll be seeing him in may um for that uh tour that that he's gonna be he's, he's doing i think it's called the we who wrestle with with god Yes, yeah. Um, I, I, it was uh, it was the etymology of Israel, I believe. Um, the yeah. Oh yeah, 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 mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah, and I think one of the things that he says is like it's very clear that from the book you'll learn that you know you at least believe that God exists. So I think this is where he's at. He knows that God exists. He just doesn't know what, where to go for for that. And I think Jonathan Peugeot was a great help because he has a great resource and somebody that it seems like Jonathan Peugeot is not pushing him in one way or the other. And I think this is a good thing because it gives the freedom to the person. You don't want to feel uh, constrained to go to one area because of a friendship or a relationship or, or whatever you have. But at the same time, it's necessary that he does receive some sort of like push, maybe from other sources to be like, just, just make a choice, just make a choice. And then from there, you will be able to discern like this was the right choice, this is this the wrong choice. Because until God, until you come to experience God, he will forever be an idea. And if you don't experience him, you will not have a relationship with him. And if you don't have a relationship with him, at the end of your life, God will say to you, depart from me, I never knew you, right? You can only know God in experience. And that requires making a commitment, making a choice. This is kind of like why that he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is unfit. It's the sense of commitment, of committing yourself to a person in marriage, let's say, or committing yourself to Christ uh, in that respect. Yeah. I love that you uh, brought out marriage. This is a perfect. Uh, by the way, so far we've been doing really well, just like going through the the transition. This <laughs> is perfect. Um, Thank God. Marriage wise, uh, he's he's married to uh, Tammy Tammy Peterson, and uh, I believe she converted. I'm I'm not sure exactly because it wasn't publicized really, but I noticed that she 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 talks about her uh, devotion towards the Catholic uh, faith, uh, Roman Catholic that is, and so. Um, what are your thoughts briefly just with uh, with the inter interfaith marriages because like with the as, a, as of in the past year or two years I've noticed that um, there is a, a deeper let's let's say telos or like just end goal when it comes to marriage in the orthodox faith than there is um, just in a Christian faith in general you know which is which is a segue to another conversation but um, what are your thoughts, experiences with interfaith marriages? Um, do they work as, as in relation to the, like, you know, the ultimate goal of marriage in the Orthodox Church? Or can they just be, you know, what they're claimed to be, which is just, you know, um, living together, having kids, and, you know, just and, and then maintaining life here? All right. Yeah. So th I think you have to ask yourself, like, why do people get married? And people in the world, I think, get married out of uh, a desire to be with someone, um, maybe uh, a sense of tradition, 
societal tradition or standards, like all these things. They, they think marriage is just, it, it's a right to be able to uh, exercise certain aspects, whether if you're like a non-denominational, like let's say anything outside of like the Catholic Orthodox faith, marriage is just a, a way for you to actual, actualize like your earthly desires. You know, if we, if we could put it in, in that respect, or it's a way to like grow a family or like grow cl closer to Christ. Right. And, 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 and all these things. And or outside of that, like what is marriage in the world today? Because divorce rates are so high. And uh, why are people getting married? Um, and I think if you don't have the proper end goal, which is kind of like what you were, were you were saying just now is like it will you will misunderstand the purpose of marriage. So the end goal for Orthodox Christians, and I think for anyone that really gets married, uh, in the, in the church is salvation. Like your end goal is salvation. Number one, like this is, this is, you want somebody who you're going to marry, you're going to yoke yourself to because the both of you are working towards the kingdom. And if you don't have the kingdom as, as, as the, as the, at the forefront of your mind, if you don't have the kingdom as the thing that you're aiming for, then I feel like it seems like other things will deteriorate because the focus will be about making money or the focus will be about, uh, tending to the kids or the focus will be, um, about like, how do I fulfill my desires and my needs and my dreams and my wants rather than like both submitting to each other and in that submission, submitting to Christ and heading towards um, salvation. So inter interfaith marriages, like now going to your question, as long as both couples have that goal in mind, like salvation, if they're both Christians, they can at least have a sense of like, we're looking towards salvation then it's a matter of like, how do we organize our life according to that end goal? And the Orthodox faith organizes it beautifully because you have the ascetical life, you have the life of the church and like, and, and all these things. Um, if it's like Orthodox and Catholic, uh, it, the, the personal advice that I give to people is that if they're coming before they get married, like have the conversation of how you would organize your Sunday worship, because I think Sundays will communicate very clearly. Decide where you're going and when you're going. All right, so so that your faith isn't doesn't become like this lukewarm thing, and it's not being practiced at least on a weekly basis. Because what happens is that you have couples that like get married, and they're like you have like Orthodox or Protestant or Catholic or whatever, and then one one side of the family goes to the church, and the other side of the family goes to a different church, and this already creates a division in the household. Right. At least if, if there is no consensus on the faith, like the theological aspects, like Orthodox or Protestant or Catholic or whatever, then at least attend one church one Sunday, one church the other, so that there is a growth of love and, and the bond that develops, you know, on Sundays. And then privately, God willing, if you're Orthodox, your love for Christ will seep through your actions and your words and your deeds. And so that your very spouse will come to know Christ and the Orthodox Church more through you, through how you behave. And therefore, they will be inclined to attend. You know what, uh, honey, like, you know, whether it's the man or, or, or woman, I'm more inclined yeah. to, to go to what, what you have, what, 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 where you're going to. Because I want to be able to raise our children in one faith, right, mm -hmm. in one church, in one community. Um, but it's a challenge because more, more and more people are getting, uh, like, I think in, in America, we have like 3 million, right? 3 million or so, like Orthodox Christians, uh, mm -hmm. which is out of 300 million. And mm -hmm. growing, yeah, absolutely. Glory to God. 
but still a very small number. So the chances are that you're going to meet somebody who's orthodox is, is, uh, is slim, and you have to just bear that in mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very much so. Um, I, I, wanna, I, w- I want to close off um, with uh, like a closing remark. So p- part of the reason why I uh, wanted to discuss with you this late into February is, is, is thinking of the fast that's upon us, the, the Great Lent, and um, whether like it's new calendar or old calendar. Um, and the, the, there's an aspect of the fast in which we talked about the passions earlier. Uh, we're, we're trying to uh, overcome ourselves. Uh, we're trying to uh, use our will to root out uh, our passions with the help of God. And to commit, to stay committed to that, do you have any advice or closing thoughts or uh, remarks, whether it, it be you know advice that keeps you going, you know, or um, advice that someone else has given you that, that was just so profound, um, or you know, a father or a church father, anything, really, uh, we would definitely be uh, very grateful for that. So you want advice on on what specifically? The, no, just continuing. Yeah, being being committed to the to the faith. Um, I think I think part of the reason why I, w- I wanted to ask this is just that reel that you made about extreme or- ownership um, okay. uh, from Jocko's uh, book, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, and yeah. you know, he talks about um, just everything that happens. And I think even Fyodor. I remember reading a, a quote by Fyodor Dostoevsky where it says, uh, "Anything anyone else does in your life is actually your responsibility." Because you you teach how people treat like you teach people how to treat you, um, and that and, and that same regard like you, the way that you live, the way that you uh, undertake your faith in Christ, if uh, even though like as as mentioned in Matthew seven, even though you may believe oh I'm doing all these things in Christ, I'm doing all these you know, um, whichever uh, group of people you are like you're struggling with your faith or you're you think you're perfect in your faith, like there's still a, an element of mystery right and so how how to continue faithfully uh just in our pursuit of god especially as as the fast is approaching to keep us you know grounded um any thoughts about that yeah i'm i'm a horrible faster like i really struggle with fasting i didn't grow up with fasting my my family did not have it when i was uh, when i was very young it made it very difficult like the, the, probably the best fasting i've ever done was at seminary uh, mm-hmm. because you're kind of forced to fast because the food that they feed you is, is like fasting food. Um, so as as it pertains to fasting, go to your spiritual father and ask what is the best rule fasting rule for me. And it might be different than the prescribed fasting of the church for that particular time period. Then do your best to follow that as best as you're able to, you know. Uh, then the so so as it pertains to Great Line, like delve into those services because services will only increase. Uh, prepare yourself like from when Great Line starts till Holy Week. Understand that you are preparing yourself for the resurrection. This is the whole point, right? Without the resurrection, our faith is pointless. It doesn't matter if Christ did not rise from the dead. So you're preparing yourself for the resurrection, and um, it's just a matter of like you're purifying or preparing your body and your mind to receive Christ more fully at, at Pascha, at Easter. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I'll say as it pertains to like society as a whole, like for you as a person and society as a whole, is something that Jordan Peterson says a lot. 
but it's very orthodox. I, I believe in its approach is like, do not lie, speak the truth. Like, do not lie. Does, that doesn't mean you have to be mean. That doesn't mean you have to be like, you have to try to convert people. It doesn't mean any of these things. It just means that in the context that you find yourself, do not lie about the things about yourself to other people about anything just as best as you're able to only speak the truth because the devil is the one that's the father of lies as christ says in the scriptures like the devil is the one that prop propagates lies so you have only but to speak the truth uh, first and foremost in confession uh to other people to if if things pertain you know ha happen at work like um this this reminds me of like i think it's alexander sultanitsyn uh, who was in the gulag and, and he, he, he's like, uh, it was, well, I believe it was him. He was like, it was my fault that these things happened. You know, mm -hmm. I'm responsible because when, when people first started to lie before, like the tyranny took over. And I'm, I'm assuming this would, this was very similar with the rise of Hitler as well. People lied about small things and this mm -hmm. allowed for bigger transgressions to take place. And then bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, rather than just saying, no, this is not, this is false and sticking to that boundary. Um, evil rises as, as good men do nothing. Right. Like, I think that's one of those quotes, like if, if you just focus on the truth, mm -hmm. especially with all the, all the baloney that's going on in the world today, um, you just hold a hard line. You communicate that truth to your spouse. You communicate that truth to your children. There's nothing that, that can happen then because you have mm -hmm. the truth. Who is Christ, right? You have the truth. So it's like you submit your ideas, your, the things that you think you, you, you know so well. You, you're so smart. You're such a good person or whatever. You submit all of that to Christ and just leave it alone. You know, I don't know better than gender, uh, about gender. I don't know better about sexuality. I just turn to, the, to what the church has revealed. I don't know better about politics. I just turn to what Christ has revealed to us. I don't know better about anything. You know, who am I? I'm just one human being. Christ is the eternal logos, the the, the wisdom of God. I turn to him and seek for his guidance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much, Father. Um, yeah. I'm, very, I'm very glad to have you. Um, hopefully, maybe, you know, when you hit that million mark, we'll have another episode. Maybe. Well, I've got I've got years before that. But yeah, that... that That'd be awesome. I, I very much uh, enjoyed it. And uh, may God bless uh, the people who listen to, to this. Again, I emphasize that whatever I said, if it if it seems good to you, you know, may be blessed. And if it doesn't, like, disregard it. I'm just, I don't know these people personally, uh, you know, and even now we're just get, getting to meet each other a little bit more. But uh, yeah, may, may be blessed. Amen. Amen.